Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media Networks, and we have our first basketball guest this week. Spencer Anderson is the director of basketball analytics for the Indiana Pacers. He's been in that role for close to two years after five years as the Pacers manager of basketball administration. Spencer took an interesting path to his current role. He majored in finance and economics at the University of Iowa, not that unusual. Then he stayed at Iowa and got a joint law degree and MBA, mixing in some basketball-related internships and consultant work before joining the Pacers full-time in 2013. In my conversation with Spencer, he'll talk about his path to his current job, what a director of basketball analytics does, the data available to NBA teams, keys to communicating that data, skills he looks for in job seekers and advice he gives them, load management in the NBA, and where to eat in Iowa City. Then True Media's DJ Bailey will join me to talk about the interview and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the Expected Value conversation with the Indiana Pacers' Spencer Anderson. We are joined here on Expected Value by Spencer Anderson, Director of Basketball Analytics for the Indiana Pacers. Spencer, welcome to the show. Let's start just explaining what your job entails. From a high-level perspective, what do you do as the Pacers Director of Basketball Analytics? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Paul, for having me on. So my role as the Director of Basketball Analytics for the Pacers is really to manage our department day-to-day, uh, as well as provide our decision makers with the best information that we can. And then also, you know, we try to be on the cutting edge of what's going on in, in the space. So looking at different technology, data acquisition, uh, as well as research so that we're prepared for kind of what's coming in the future. And if there's any ways that we can get a slight edge, we're going we're gonna to try and go for that. So what would you say a typical day looks like for you during the season like we're in right now? Yeah, so during the season, uh, usually we're providing reports to decision makers, whether it be the coaches, front office, or our performance staff. Um, we have a robust intern program uh, as well. And so, you know, my day might be spent kind of guiding the interns on some of the longer term projects that we work on as well. And then a lot of the work just depends on the time of year. So, you know, right now we're you know, six games into the season, uh, we're really doing a lot on the Pacers side of, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that we've got all of our reporting and information to the to those decision makers. And then we're also getting ready for the Mad Ant season, our, our G League affiliate up in Fort Wayne, uh, and they start start their season here on Friday. So we helped them out with uh, some draft preparation, and and uh, we'll we'll provide reporting for them as well. And then, you know, as we get further into the NCAA season and international league play, we'll shift, you know, our focus to kind of doing some different draft work. And then the trade deadline comes around as well, and we'll assist in that as well. Um, So really it kind of revolves around the NBA's season, and uh, it's ever-changing, so there's not any typical day, but hopefully that gives a high level of kind of what we're working with. You mentioned you're kind of focused on your own team early on. How much or how does that shift maybe during the season or does it between the analytics work that's more team focused on, on your own team versus maybe preparing for future opponents? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to get big enough samples in order to really get some meaningful reporting out on some of the other teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we kind of know what we want to be doing uh, and what our game plan is. But yeah, that does, does definitely shift. And, and we, you know, we have someone who's dedicated to 
to doing the coaching analytics and uh, you know, they provide that reporting on, on both the personnel as well as the team level. We do that so that our coaches can be best prepared. They've got a ton of information that's coming, coming to them from a wide variety of sources, not just us, um, but you know, our video staff as well as our advanced scout. And uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that preparation. Let's take a step back kind of and tell me what data, what's available for you guys? I mean, between box score based stats and the player tracking information, what's sort of the data pool that you're working with and all NBA teams are working with? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we're lucky. We live in a time now where there's a ton of data available, yeah. you know, so you'll look around the world. You know, we just played in India a few weeks ago. Basketball is growing and played everywhere and we're getting data and video pretty much on every single league around the world. So it's pretty incredible that you know, we live in a time that we can watch film on a CBA game that happened in China. Um, mm. But, you know, like you said, we've got the player tracking data in, in the NBA. Our data in, in the NBA is definitely by far the, the most granular. But there's investments that are being made really around the world to get better data you know, the NCAA, I think in the past couple of seasons, they've invested in play by play systems to kind of uh, formulate that process and make sure everyone's doing it the same way. Uh, the NBA's made significant investments as well in the player tracking. And, you know, there's just a lot of companies popping up over the past, you know, five to 10 years that are also tracking performance data. So, what's happening off the court? How can we track player development? What's happening in the weight room? You know, I think it's safe to say uh, over the next, few years we're definitely going to have more data uh, than less um, so you know that's our job as the analytics department with the pacers to make sense of it and, and to assist our decision makers and kind of sifting through it all to to make the best decisions we can and just to explain in, in detail a little bit more like what's the the player tracking system like how does that work as from a technical standpoint like cameras in the arena and such yeah so there's a company called second spectrum that currently mm -hmm. is the player tracking data provider for the whole league. And so they, I think they put between six and eight cameras. I know originally it was six with stats. I was with stats, uh, you know, when they were first implementing some of the systems across the league and now it's second spectrum. So I think they've got eight cameras. It's just gotten better. And uh, they use a technology called computer vision to be able to track all of the players and the ball, I think 25 times or 30 times a second. So, you know, we can get speeds and we can get location of everyone at, at any time on the court and and then you know do some higher level work on being able to identify different basketball related actions you know whether it be identifying a ball screen or identifying you know when there was someone there to contest a shot or uh, making an extra pass or you know really we can get very granular and and that's that's where you know working with the coaching staff and the video and player development staff on, you know, what, what is it that they want to see? What are the things that they think are important? And then how can we use the data most efficiently um, in order to get to those answers so that, you know, they have the, the reports that they need every day and can kind of track how, how we're doing in, in those metrics that they're keyed in on. We talk a lot on, on this podcast about, the importance of communicating to these coaches, players, uh, whoever it might be. What are a couple of keys that you've found to communicating data to people who perhaps aren't as familiar with it as you might be? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to try and develop relationships with those people, you know, figure out mm -hmm. 
what really they're interested in and then try and educate them as to what metrics or what data can we use to best explain that. And I'd also focus on presentation. So, you know, my philosophy is, is if our group, you know, has to take a few extra hours in order to make something or a report or information look cleaner or easier to understand, or it's better designed and it keeps the attention of that coach or, you know, that person who might not be as familiar with the data and it keeps that attention of that decision maker for an extra five seconds, it's definitely worth the effort. So, you know, I think building the relationships as well as, you know, doing everything that you can to communicate effectively. Um, and some of that goes into some of the reports we provide, but you know, it's, it's an open dialogue, which is great. Yeah. Relationships and presentation, definitely some of the non-tangible sort of skills or less tangible skills that I think are important. That kind of leads me into, you You just posted a couple basketball analytics internships with the Pacers for spring and summer. So let me start kind of on the tangible side. What sort, from an academic standpoint, what sort of tangible skills are you usually looking for in someone who's trying to, to get into this industry with you? First and foremost, you know, it's a very competitive industry. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what we look for is the technical side, you have to have that. And then, you know, we look for fit and other things. But for, for the technical side, you know, we're looking, we're looking for folks who are familiar with doing data manipulation, data cleaning, uh, data programming, uh, usually using some sort of language, so Python or R. And then, you know, have you applied those skills to a sports setting? And how curious are you? And sports is pretty amazing because there's public data everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of up to students to say, okay, you know, I want to, if I want to work in sports or I want to work in basketball analytics, the cool thing is, is even though you don't, might not have access to the most granular, you're like, you don't have access to the player tracking data, there's opportunities out there to get involved. And, you know, whether it be working for your college team or doing some stuff and creating a blog and answering different questions. Um, give a shout out to Michael Lopez, who's with the NFL. They've, mm-hmm. they've got the big data bowl going on right now. And so you can get access to the NFL's player tracking data, which is really cool and, and do some really neat things. And, uh, with that information that would be directly applicable to what we're doing here. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You want to see the ability, obviously, but also just the kind of the drive shows up just by what they've done on their own, basically. What what else would you say? You kind of covered it there, but you probably get a ton of applicants for these things, and a lot of people do. What else would you tell them? We do get a lot of applicants, and usually what I tell people is we get a lot of applicants that want to work in sports, and mm-hmm. you know that's terrific, but sports is a business at the end of the day. So what is it about sports that you want to be doing? And so there's, there's a lot of soul searching that I try to advise because, you know, you can work in sports and do finance, you can do marketing, you can do sales, you can do operations, analytics on the business and on the sports side. And so try and have some conversations with different people that work in sports and, and figure out what is it that really draws you to sports? Is it actually going to the games because there's not too many people that get paid to go to the games. Um, but if it's doing the analysis and trying to come up with a better strategy or a better idea um, to either put together a team or to apply some of the statistical frameworks that you've learned, uh, you know, then this might be a great, great field for you. That kind of leads me to your career path, which I think sure. 
it seems like you at least figured out a rough career path for yourself fairly early on. You interned with the Pacers. You interned, as you mentioned, with Stats Inc., working with NBA data. Uh, what set you on a, we'll call it a basketball front office career path in the first place? Yeah, it's, uh, there's not one one path. My path was kind of a winding route. I knew when I entered college that I wanted to be involved in sports in some capacity. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. maybe a sports agent might be a good route for me. Um, learned more about being on the team side and really thought, hey, this is exactly where I want to be. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet with my current manager, who's the, the senior VP of basketball operations, Peter Dinwiddie, here with the Pacers um, on a school field trip, actually, out here to the NCAA. We, we hit up a game uh, as well with the Sports Law Society, and uh, he was nice enough to talk with us and met him again at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference uh, mm-hmm. out at MIT later and, and was lucky enough to get an internship. But at that time, there weren't too many actual departments of of basketball analytics with any teams there was some consultants and some work definitely was being done and and some teams had uh uh, departments but um it was definitely a growing field and i thought well hey it seems to match what i'm doing in school Uh, you know i was getting my law degree as well as my mba but really i was trying to value especially on the mba side value different asset classes because I was kind of focused in finance. And so I thought, well, if I could apply what I've learned to value players or value coaching strategies or what have you, then, you know, maybe this could be a value add for a team. So learn more about the sport view system and thought, hey, Mm -hmm. this might be a good way to to break in and intern with stats, like you said, and learned a ton and learned a ton from uh, Brian Kopp and Ryan Workins when I was there and then, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough. You know, I, I took the bar exam once I finished school and, uh, I was lucky enough to get a call maybe a couple months into, uh, the summer there and, and the league invested in, in the sport view system, which kind of opened up a spot here with the Pacers to, to manage that and to help drive our analytics capabilities. Uh, myself and Ryan Renteria is another person that's in our group as well. So that was kind of my path, but very lucky and you just got to be at the right time and mm-hmm. hope that there's a need that you can fill. Yeah. So the, the MBA slash JD route is an interesting one to me. I think is relatively unique uh, in the field. Let's look at the law degree specifically. How does that help you uh, in the role that you have now? Yeah. I mean, I, I do some work with vendors as well as do some contract administration with the league. And so I work with some of the agents to make sure we've got all of our eyes dotted and our T's crossed um, so that we can get our player contracts approved. And then you'll work with our vendors on some of those deals as well. Um, so, so that's where it directly comes in. But I would say from an analytics perspective, it comes in during the communication point. So being able to communicate clearly, get to the issues or, uh, you know, points of, of uh, emphasis, you know, as quick as possible and then be able to kind of communicate those down the line, whether it be in, in written form or oral communication. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely non-traditional from some mm-hmm. of my colleagues around the league. Uh, I don't know if there's too many other folks working in analytics that have their law degree, but um, I think it's been beneficial for me. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm thinking about getting MBA or JD or both, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in the sports analytics world, you know, what would you... Uh, suggest to them or how would you kind of guide them as they try to feel that process out? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say that first and foremost, grad school is really expensive. So <laughs> make sure yeah. make sure that that's exactly what you want to do. And then, you know, try and figure out how some of those classes can apply. Um, sure. I think my case was was kind of unique. I don't know if getting a JD MBA would be, you know, the best route to get into analytics nowadays because there's a lot of sport. There's mm-hmm. analytics programs across the country. Uh, master's programs and, and as well as sports analytics programs now so you know that might be a more direct route um, fewer years so that, that's always a good thing too because four years of grad school is a long time yeah so i think the pacers have if i can read the kind of the masthead of sorts right you have three we'll call them analytics personnel Generally speaking, kind of from a, a front office angle, where would you put most NBA teams on that spectrum? We'll say between the NFL, where I think teams tend to have one or two people used to varying degrees in baseball, where you know most MLB teams have a much more robust analytics department. Where's the NBA kind of fall between those two sports? Well, Paul, I think you're exactly right. I mean, there's, I think the NBA fits right in, in the middle there. And I think the number of people that you have is it's directly correlated with how you set up your different data systems. So, you know, if you have everything set up in-house and you're pulling all those feeds directly, you're, you're going to have a lot more people than if you have third parties that, that assist you with some of that. So, I mean, I think the, the NBA has done a great job in, in investing in a lot of these technologies and really being an asset to the teams. I mean, they've got a group solely dedicated to creating new metrics that would be beneficial to the teams. I don't know if you're familiar with the hustle stats group there, but yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say that the MLB is definitely, you know, they're, they're on the frontier and I think the NBA is, is behind them, but, but it's really grown leaps and bounds over the past few years with some of the investments that they've made and really the culture that, you know, Evan Wash and commissioner silver really created as to, here you go. We're going to be innovative. We're going to invest in technology. We're going to use data. And it shows across a, a number of different initiatives that they have. So I think it's it's growing, but uh, you know we're still behind the MLB. Have you seen that growth? You've been at the Pacers for about six years and change. Have you seen that growth on the, you know, we'll call it the coaches and the players side as well, where the, the interest has changed over the last few years and with regards to how much and what kind of information they have? Yeah, I mean, I think with more information that's out there, there's going to be more people that are curious. And I think that in general, there's a good dialogue between what the analytics is trying to model, which Mm -hmm. really that's all we're doing is we're trying to explain what happened in the game, which we're we're not there yet. I mean, player tracking is helpful, but at the end of the day, there's, there's players on the court. There's a bunch of issues that we can't really deal with. And so there's players that are, more interested and the coaches are obviously interested too because at the end of the day if if we can get better information to make them win more games or help them win more games yeah you know it's going to be one of those areas that they're going to be interested in because they're in the they're in the business of winning games as are we but uh they're in the trenches every day and uh they've got a boatload of information that's coming their way you know we've got tonight we've got charlotte and then tomorrow we've got Washington. So mm-hmm. if we can get more efficient in how that information gets digested and how uh, that information can flow through to the game plan, then I think everyone's yeah. all in. How do you watch a game? It's always interests me to anyone involved in a team or, or, or former athlete, whatever. Are you actually working during a game or is it just more that 
you know, you're at home and obviously your wheels are turning, but you're, you know, off the clock, so to speak. So I guess, what do you do when you're watching a game? How do you watch and process info while you're watching? Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, I'll watch all of our games and then I'll try and watch a number of other games that are going on too within the NBA. Um, and then now the college is starting to watch some of those as well. But, you know, for our games, a lot of times, you know, if we have shoot around or practice in the previous days, you know, I have a pretty good idea of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to either guard or execute on, on offense. And so, you know, I try and focus on, are we doing what we were trying to do or what the coaches wanted us to do? Um, and where were the breakdowns? And then, you know, I'm usually tracking different stats that we find are, that are important as well during the games. Um, but yeah, that's usually how I watch. I, I don't, I usually don't watch it with uh, any audio um, just so that you can focus more on the game and you just don't have that background noise. But yeah. um, usually I'm at most of the games here in Indianapolis as well. Wow. So that's always a, a good experience. I want to ask you about load management, which is kind of a hot topic early in this NBA sure. season. What's just kind of your general perception of the conversation and where it's gone because i mean i can see sides where it's hey old, old school guys didn't have to do this and i can also understand the angle of wanting to have your to rest up some players and get them ready for later in the season so kind of from your perspective and analytics perspective what are your thoughts on that talking point early on here sure yeah i think the overall idea makes sense the nba season is very long we've got 82 games uh there's there's back-to-backs that happen there's a lot of travel and I think the last thing that you want is for your best players to be injured when they're needed the most, which is in the playoffs. And so, you know, obviously we've, we've had uh, significant injuries during my time with Paul George being injured for a whole year. Mm-hmm. I think he came back with six games left um, after he got injured during the Team USA scrimmage and then yep. Victor Oladipo this past year. So at the end of the day, you know, you, you need those players during the games that matter the most. So I think Overall, the concept makes sense. In terms of the science behind it, I think it's pretty tough to quantify what exactly the injury risk is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the game has gotten faster over, even over the course of, you know, I haven't been around that long. Like, this is my seventh season. So the game continues to get, to get faster. And I think, you know, that plays a part in it as well. Um, but the league has, has shown that they want to try to mitigate some of the effects of the schedule, which I think is a huge plus, um, yeah. you know, trying to, they've eliminated all four and fives. They've tried to eliminate as many back to backs as they can. And then they're cognizant of, of how much travel each team has to do. So, um, I think all in all, you know, it's moving the right direction. I don't really know who's right. If it's the back in my day, you know, we mm-hmm. played 45 minutes or 42 minutes or whatever it might be. I don't know if that argument is more correct than, than resting a guy. I don't really know, but I think it makes sense. All right, let's wrap things up with sure. what I'm calling our playing favorites segment where we rip through a number of uh, favorite things on your side. So let's start with what's your favorite number and why? My favorite number is number eight. I don't really have a reason. I, I think I just had an affinity toward eight when I was young, and that's always what I was, was number eight. Favorite player, doesn't have to be basketball, could be any sport, uh, favorite player for you? I would say Randy Moss was my favorite player uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. I lived about two hours south of Minneapolis, so loved yeah. watching him play. He was unbelievable. Yeah, he was something. I got to see him play in person once, and 
you know, you could pick a random person who doesn't really know football and he could tell you like, who's the best athlete or, or whatever it is here. Just yeah. A, cool a freak in a him. good way. Yeah, yeah, he was, he would just, the, my favorite memories would be like, he would just raise his hand up cause he knew mm-hmm. he was going to get by <laughs> yeah. everybody. Yeah. I got and him. Then, and then Warren moon or whoever it was would just throw it as far as they could. Jeff George. Yep. And then yep. and he would just go get it. Yeah. Good stuff. Favorite game that you've been to in person. Uh, this one's pretty recent. Uh, last last November, we played against Boston. It was back and forth. And it was here in Indianapolis. Uh, Kyrie was hitting shots. Victor was hitting shots. And it was just going back and forth. And I think we were down like, I don't know if we were down five or four with like 30 seconds to go. And Victor, I think he had either an and one or hit a free throw or two. And then we got a stop and we were down two. And, you know, typically, you know, that might be a time when we take a timeout, but coach McMillan just, I think he knew what was going on and Victor just, you know, had the ball. They, they were still trying to get organized and he just pulled up for three and drained it with like three seconds to go to win. So it was pretty awesome. You went to university of Iowa for undergrad and undergrad mm-hmm. degrees. What's your favorite place to eat in Iowa city? Iowa City is an awesome town. Yeah. Uh, for all your listeners, I know that Iowa is a flyover state for most people, but Iowa City is a gem. You know, it's hard for me because I've been, the, it's been a while since I've been back, but there's a ton of great restaurants there. And I would say Airliner for pizza, Quinn's okay. if you want a sandwich or a soup, and then Shorts has got the best burgers. Okay. My wife is from Iowa and we've been there a couple times. I have to put those on the list next time we get there. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah. Let me know how they are. And finally, what's a favorite kind of, how did I get here moment that you've had something that just makes you kind of look around and say, wow, you know, this, this is pretty cool what we're doing here. Um, so my first season, we were the number one seed against the heat and we're in the Eastern conference finals. And so just being there, was just kind of like unbelievable because it was like all right you know we've got a pretty good shot to make it to the finals and you know i just kind of started so just being in the arena that atmosphere and and uh we played them pretty tough uh had a couple close losses and ended up losing in six but that was kind of the moment where i was like wow i'm actually working for an nba team and Mm -hmm. we've got a shot to do what i've always dreamt of doing which is just be a part of an organization that has a chance to win a title so that was cool those feelings are you never know when they're coming along so it's good that we can appreciate them when they do so oh definitely that'll that'll wrap things up for us here on expected value spencer anderson director of basketball analytics for the indiana pacers thanks for joining us thank you paul Back in the True Media Network studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Spencer Anderson for joining us here on Expected Value. You can follow him on Twitter at Spence J. Anderson and check out the internships he posted last week if you or someone you know is interested in working in basketball analytics. Those links also available in the show notes of this episode. I'm joined now by DJ Bailey, True Media's analytics content manager. DJ, you're a big NBA fan, played basketball at Clark University. What did you take from take away from this conversation with Spencer? There was a lot of good points that he made. Um, you know, he touched on communication to decision makers and um, how just the league and the sport in general is expanding and with it, data providers and video from even games in China. Mm-hmm. One of the major points that I took away from it was uh, the discussion on load management. 
he talked about how the idea makes sense. And obviously the league doesn't really want players who are kind of deemed healthy, quote unquote, to sit games. But uh, there is this element of players experiencing wear and tear throughout the season and, you know, a couple of rest games here and there throughout a season will benefit them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that discussion was very interesting. Yeah, I think I, I said it when I was talking to him. You can see both sides really well. And like, if I'm a fan, I'm going to a game, I'm going to be upset if, you know, whatever, Paul George isn't playing or whatever. But from a team standpoint, I mean, you got to understand the big picture too. Well, it's a business. And, you know, yep. there was a game, the big game that everyone's talking about is the Clippers versus Bucks, who are both yep. contenders this year. And Kawhi Leonard did not play. And it, it makes sense. You want your star player to be healthy for the playoffs when it really matters. But the league wants to ensure these fans can enjoy the games and enjoy the best yeah. players participating. What was also interesting was him talking about how it's pretty tough to quantify injury risk right now. Mm-hmm. And he had talked before about you know how there's new sources of data and the growing technology involved in sports analytics. And I think eventually we're going to see companies, and I think there are already companies doing this, who are going to have it pretty robustly where you're going to be able to know the injury risks associated with different players, whether it be an ankle and knee, or if quite frankly, their overall health is, you know, at like a percentage, say 77, 77%. Do you want to play your star player? Or do you want to make sure he's, you know, 90 plus mm-hmm. for the majority of the season? Yeah. I think there's a lot of, ways it could go it's almost like a a video game where you've got the energy bar over them and you want to know what kind of shape are they in going in or even in the you know middle of the game or or something along those lines Uh, one of the things that i like you mentioned the communication and we talk about this a lot on the podcast he picked out presentation which i thought was important we've talked about trust and understanding lead to buy-in from people and i think that presentation factor is you know just about as important some way sometimes you have a stat or a person that wants to see visuals and that's the best way to present something, a shot chart or whatever. Sometimes it's just a sentence like you did this in the first half and this in the second half, or maybe it's a table with columns and rows of stats to compare. And every person situation that you know I've worked with, everyone's a little bit different. And part of the challenge of, of being a good you know, analyst, we'll call it, is finding the best presentation for different people and different data. Because some people uh, want to see a stat sheet, some want to see visuals and you're dealing with constraints of time and media and there's so many different possibilities and there's not always one right answer, but it's a trial and error thing. You know, you know, your audience, you know, your tools and you can find the best ways to reach people with the information that they need to know. And I'm sure you saw this even, you know, playing in college, you know, some guys wanted to see tape of something to make a correction or see how something's done. Some just had to be told it. Maybe they had to be shown it on a court. Some might want a statue. Everyone's a little bit different on how they absorb all that data. Yeah, no, it it definitely matters. I mean, we had film where it was more of a team level, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it'd be helpful if coach pulled you aside and pulled a video of, you know, you need to be more aggressive here, or this is your defensive positioning here. And then that can kind of translate to the court where in practice, he's going to kind of walk you through that again, but you already had that that glimpse of it on on tape. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of opens your eyes on what you need to do. And I think kind of the same obviously on a different level applies to uh, the NBA. all right thanks dj that'll wrap things up for this episode of expected value thanks again to spencer anderson pacers director of basketball analytics for joining us on the show 
If you missed last week's episode, I had a good talk with former ESPN colleague Mark Simon, who now works at Sports Info Solutions and votes for the Fielding Bible Awards. We chatted about baseball's defensive numbers, his advice to aspiring journalists and analytics types, and much more. So check that one out in the archives. Next week, I'll be chatting with James Tippett, author of The Expected Goals Philosophy, a new book that covers the past, present, and future of the expected goals stat in soccer. So go find that one on Amazon and meet back here next week for an impromptu book club. Please continue to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks to the 11 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts so far. We appreciate all the sharing, all the feedback. Keep it coming on Twitter at True Media Sports and at Paul Carr. Or email us, expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. For DJ Bailey and everyone here at True Media Networks, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that takes you inside the sports analytics world. 